0: This is weird. You know the <laughs> This is so weird. Because <laughs> you've not started. I've, I've literally... Have you
1: only ever recorded remotely?
0: Yeah, well, no. We, me, you, and Matt did one podcast together in oh, Matt's yeah, spare yeah. room. And I was more nervous than i have ever been. And I had to record backup lines because oh, I, yeah, I basically didn't talk throughout the entirety of the podcast. And you had to...
1: This is all the whole first like seventy episodes of the podcast. That that poppy energy that made us the fourth most popular. <laughs> um, that was uh, we we only ever recorded in the same room. Yeah, we really. Oh, I hard, can tell. But, okay. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to. Don't stare straight, you can look like there, you can buy my plants, like
0: whatever Yeah, I could do anything that isn't that, okay
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast A special episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast A podcast all about board games, board games and the people who love them Because today, I'm joined by Tom Brewster Hello And how far away from me are you sat right now, Tom Brewster? Uncomfortably close Uncomfortably close, just two boys sharing one mic (laughs) Uh, with a very small recording range in order to have a high sort of like quality so every time we want to record we have to lean in mm-hmm. as if we're going for a kiss yeah but oh, and
0: and where better to go for a little kiss than over a huge stack of board games that Quinns has positioned the microphone on
1: yeah it's adding a free frisson of danger to this podcast but we don't need any more danger or excitement on this podcast because today we're talking about a game that's so exciting mm-hmm. that we're dedicating the entire podcast to just this one game and that game is Obsession by Dan Halligan and you know Mm -hmm. it's by Dan Halligan because on the front of the box it says Obsession, a Dan Halligan board game Which you immediately,
0: out of the gate, were not impressed by. Every single piece of sort of box or component in this game sort of has the stamp of its maker on top of it. Like the box and the expansion, a Dan Halligan game. Yeah, it's a
1: confident
0: box, isn't it? (laughs) And
1: like, you can kind of see why. I think this game is quite visibly a labour of love. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not how it looks. It looks kind of drab. Kind of beige. Kind of beige. Very beige. Very beige. But (laughs) what the game is doing is it's providing you with a a thematic opportunity to manage a country estate that has fallen into disrepair in the era of kind of Jane Austen. So if you're a fan of Jane Austen, or if you like Bridgerton, but you wish it was more historically accurate and less sexy, (laughs) then uh, Obsession is a board game for you. So the pitch of this game, which I do really like, you sold it to me immediately the first time you played it. Um, before I soured dramatically on the game, but we'll get to that later. Um, the first time you played this game, you gave me a little box, which contains sort of all the components to do with starting oh, yeah. my house. And you said, um, you know, you're a house, we're all houses that have fallen into disrepair. Our mm-hmm. reputation is in the toilet. How much money do we start the game with, Tom? Zero. Zero pounds. Um, and over the course of just like, I don't know, a couple of years... You're going to be uh, inviting guests to your property You're going to be building out your country estate dramatically You're going to be improving your reputation And you're going to be competing for the attention of the Fairchilds, yeah, who are very exciting—two sexy siblings that live in the big house on the hill. <laughs> yep, and uh, so you're, go- and they're occasionally going to be revealing what they're interested in, mm-hmm. and hopefully your estate has that. So maybe they'll yep. like, you know, lawn tennis, and then
0: you'll go yes, because you built a oh, tennis it, court. It's so easy to get like lost in the thematic details instantly. Like one of my favorite things about those Fairchilds is the fact that they're interested in something, but for only one season, like this. <laughs> season they really care about going bowling but then at the end of that they're like oh well now i care about like that your servants have good quarters or something like that
1: yeah the uh I immediately when we first started playing this game lost myself in the theme and credit to Dan Halligan a Dan Halligan designer (laughs) Um, he has made something that is thematically tremendously evocative far more evocative Mm -hmm. than most Euro games Um, and part of that is just variety Um, you know you have a huge quantity of tiles that come out and enter the game's shop which you can buy from and improve your estate in different ways there's a huge pile of guest cards and every guest has a little paragraph saying you know such and like well some of them are just like this is a nice lady and some of them like this man is a disgrace (laughs) if you have his name in your sort of metaphorical jane austen rolodex at the end of the game, if you just have the opportunity
0: to invite him, your reputation's going in the toilet, uh, and your final score will be lower. My favourite examples of some of those are guests that, if you invite them, will grant you huge amounts of money, but they will absolutely tank your reputation for doing so. And sometimes that's because they might work in the slave trade. Yep, or the tobacco
1: industry, Mm. or just
0: something real bad.
1: (laughs) Yep, so, uh, but while some of the theme in this game comes from the big variety of guests and things you can build, Um, A lot of the theme comes from how the game actually works. Mm -hmm. So the central core of what you're doing on each round of Obsession is you pick one of the tiles of your estate, so it could be the croquet court, or it could be your giant banquet hall or, you know, your drawing room where you could invite ladies for cards. You pick one of these events and then you're picking which guests you're going to invite to that event, which feels very Regency. It feels, you know, very thematic. You're not just, you know, like hosting a game of croquet. You're, you know, ooh, the daughter of your, of your, you know, like family and the tobacco mutton. (laughs) Oh, he's evil, but he will get us, you know, a lot of business opportunities and let us make a lot of money, which we can then spend expanding the things. So it's a combination of like, there is lots of, um, thematic components of this game, but then the actual game, what you are actually doing of choosing who to invite to what area of your estate um, is quite thematic as well. I was uh, lost in the thematic source from game one of this. You
0: really were. You were reading out all of the descriptions on all of the cards as you (laughs) played them. Yeah, I was. It's very easy to go down like that, these sort of rabbit holes as well, because the rules support this sort of dense theme like there are some rules that exist for only one kind of guest and only one kind of card so it's like oh i can't think of an example now but there are tons of them like oh i've got this like footman but they can only fill in for a valet but only if i've built the brushing room improvement (laughs) will the brushing room improvement come out of the huge bag of tiles Probably not. I haven't seen it yet. Occasionally, there's a village fair.
1: Ooh. That requires a special like you know, description as you're explaining the game. You, you teach the whole game and then there's like, also, there's a village fair. It yeah. happens twice. If you prepare for it, you get some money. But also, at the end of the game, your score is slightly impacted because involving yourself in the village fair <laughs> is actually kind of, I don't know, low behaviour. It's kind something. of uncool. Yeah, you mentioned servants there. So I guess that's the last thing to teach the people at home about how the game works, which is yep. this is also a game of managing your household staff probably there's some of you listening to this now thinking this is a game about like having servants and inviting tobacco merchants. And if that kind of, like, rubs you the wrong way, and if Victorian opulence is repulsive to you rather than, like, kind of loose and exciting,
0: this isn't the game for
1: you. (laughs) Um, It really is kind of a celebration of, like, building up your rotten
0: house into, once again, a house that can lord it over everyone else. Yeah, I I think that if you engage with the game as being quite tongue-in-cheek, you'll have a much better time with it. But, yeah, I can understand people being a bit galled by the fact that, like, you are effectively you're like, oh yeah, I've got a tobacco merchant in my deck. How exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of that in there. Being really
1: excited that you've you find a truly horrible guest off the deck <laughs> because they have great connections. Yes. Um, or like, yeah, overworking your servants so that you can build something that might impress the fairchilds mm-hmm.
0: because So you can invite a have a grand ball on a national holiday and invite your entire Rolodex decks of guests oh, in one go. Oh, that's very exciting. But yes, I said we would explain the servants and we haven't done
1: that yet. So um the servants maybe quite fittingly, um, if if you want to view this game as some kind of statement on class, the servants are absolutely the powerhouse of your house. They're the thing that allows you to do absolutely everything. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So while money is important and the guests you've got are important, nothing happens without household stuff. Um, And what have we got in just the base game? Because Tom and I are also talking about Obsession's expansion. Obsession, Upstairs, upstairs, downstairs. Downstairs. Oh, I love it. So the core guests you're getting in the box are what you've got a a a head butler, Uh, just the butler I think. Butler, there's the valet, tall blue boy, tall blue boy. Uh, The valet is squat green boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, you get a little wooden uh, lady's maid, small red lady. No, small purple lady. Small purple lady. Who's the red lady? The. This
0: is why I lost. Head. The head of the house. No. The no. house.
1: Purple lady is head of the house. Oh, red Disney is lady's no, maid. The red lady is... <laughs> okay. Uh, we should also mention that while we can't keep these straight, Upstairs Downstairs is a main addition to the game, as well as a bunch of new tiles and guests. Are uh, four more classes of house on staff.
0: Can't wait to get these wrong as well. Uh,
1: chef, Squat Orange Lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hallboy. Hall boy. Who you read to me what a Hallboy does from the manual, because I hadn't heard of it before. It's like... It's like an apprentice person who works 12 hours a day running messages around the house. Yes, and-,
0: and the idea is that it shows everyone else that you're invested in improving your household staff in the long term yeah. because you've hired a child. <laughs> yeah, it's like,
1: I'm a good family. Why? Because there's child... Like I've, I've brought this boy. The boy is also super creepy because um, the boy can be assigned to any guest during oh, yeah. an activity and it generates... One hundred pounds. What's that? <laughs> Mechanically, that's because one hundred pounds is the smallest unit of currency in this yes. game. Thematically, what's that boy doing what to have earned a hundred pounds? Do not want to. Do know. not want to know. And then there's two more servants. There's oh, the useful man. That's not. That's not a turn of phrase. He's literally called the useful <laughs> man, uh, or UM. What does the uh, What does the useful man do? Quince. Oh, you're testing me now. There's five sub. Tasks that the useful man can do. You can use him for what I used him for, which is banish him from your estate to force a Building tile out of the giant randomized bag of building Mm -hmm. tiles. So if you really need like a flower garden as I did in my last game Which sounds like such an absurd sentence I dis- I banished the the useful man from my estate for all eternity And then uh, a flower garden was magically available for purchase Let's let's do this back and forth like a game of horse I've named one thing you can use the useful man for. You've got to name something else you can use the useful man
0: for. You can decrease the reputation of a tile in your organiser so that you can invite a higher prestige guest than you'd normally be able to.
1: Yep, that's the chef, isn't Wait, it? Wait, no, no,
0: hold on. Oh. <laughs> The reason I put Quinns on the spot naming uh, useful man functions Is that whilst most of the servants of the game have one function You know, you put a footman on a footman space A valet on a valet space The useful man has five distinct abilities That take up the entirety of a reference card And you have to constantly look at to see if you can use him or not It
1: it is true like It's it's apt naming that he's called the useful man He could have also (laughs) been named the hateful man For how much he lengthens And then upstairs, downstairs, as a fourth class of servant um, Who
0: I'm forgetting now the pink, the the head housemaid oh, who yeah. lets you filter guests. So normally when you invite guests, you just top deck them and you might get someone who's amazing for you. They only need, they don't need any servants yeah. uh, to help them out and they generate you loads of money. Or you might get the worst man in England <laughs> and the the head housemaid lets you pick two and uh, or draw two and choose one filtering the guests before they even enter that, role, that
1: precious Rolodex. Like a kind
0: of social bouncer. Yeah.
1: Yes. So, um, broadly speaking, th- those, are, <laughs> as much as we've been rambling about all the different stupid mechanics in this game, um, the broad strokes of what you do on a turn is you pick one of the... You pick one of the tiles in your estate, which are kind of like rooms, I guess. Yeah. You pick a room, which might be, I don't know, which is going to have something it does and the kind of people it needs. Mm-hmm. So for example, depressingly, there's a library where the action printed on it is, if you use the library for a round, you can art, debate politics, <laughs> which exclusively involves male guests. Woo! Yeah, so you can have four male guests, and then at the end of that, I don't know, you you might get a new guest, like, it's, it's all kind of abstract. But mm-hmm. then you pick the guests from your kind of Rolodex, which to begin with the game is just your family members, but then as your house gains reputation, you're trying to meet more people. If you want to meet more people, you can do specific activities to do that, and so you've got a huge hand of people, but all the servants you use, because certain guests or rooms will require certain servants, can only be used once every two turns. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to do an action that, I don't know, for example, if you want to invite a bunch of men to play tennis, that was going to require several valets. So, you've got to make sure your valets are rested. Yep. Um, but then the other thing you're doing is guests themselves, once you've invited them to an activity, are discarded into a discard pile. And only by sacrificing an entire round of the game doing a rest action, as if you were playing Concordia, do <laughs> all of your guests kind of go back into your hands so they can be invited to an activity. Activities again, Yeah. So, and then on top of all of this, at the end of every round, you're hopefully generating a bit of money, which can be spent bolting new wings onto your manor. <laughs> so you can do other things like admire a horse or go paint watercolours by a river or pr- do a music recital or observe flowers. There are quite literally dozens and dozens of different activities. And what's quite nice, uh, and I'll let Tom speak because I'm rambling about this game. Because uh, I know how mean I'm going to be about it later. <laughs> um, but it is good. It's cool. Don't don't think this is a bad game because it's not. Um, once you've used a tile, um, you flip it over to the other side. So, and off, a lot of tiles, like having a bowling green that's never been used, that's kind of embarrassing. That's a bit yeah. disgraceful. But once you've used one of these tiles, once you've hosted an event on it, you flip it over. And for one thing, it's worth more victory points at the end of the game. But often the activity will change a little bit. Mm. So if you have a huge dining room, maybe you can invite five guests for a banquet. But once you've used it once... Your household staff Are used to this Hosting banquets thing <laughs> Maybe once you've flipped it
0: You can invite six guests If you were to host another meal. Yeah And the flip side of that Is that those points That are on tiles Are what you use To tempt over the Fairchilds uh, Who are this Illustrious yeah. family Living in their big mansion On the hill If you manage to uh, Get the lead In that sort of category That the Fairchilds Care about that round So they might care about Service tiles one round Whichever player Has the highest Total point value In service tiles At the end of one of the game's Four seasons <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) will bring a Fairchild over into their house and they're generally just pretty good cards that will let you gain extra reputation or invite more prestige guests. It's great to be able to invite a Fairchild
1: to dinner, everyone loves it, you're gonna get reputation, you might get money, you might make friends through their illustrious
0: connections, ah, the Fairchilds. Or you might do none of it, as you did in the last game where I had the Fairchilds basically as permanent residents in my house. I... I
1: know. That if we talk about the last game of uh, Obsession that we played, I'm going to get angry. (laughs) I'm going to get upset. (laughs) So I would really like to spend another 10 minutes talking about what's cool and fun about this game. Yes, Because the first time we played it, which was just with the base game, not with the um, Upstairs, Downstairs expansion, we both had a great time. Uh, Although the first time, actually the first time I played it, we had a great time. That was a good game. You had... Should we walk through all of our games a bit? Yes. Do you you want to talk about the first game you played with um, Kath and
0: Luke? Yeah. So Um, the first game I played was uh, sort of this exercise in incredible frustration because <laughs> i just finished reading this really quite terrible manual i don't quite know what it is about the manual that i find frustrating but i think it's, its a dan desire, halligan manual a dan halligan manual i think it's that it wants to explain everything instantly it's not content to like package some information till sort of later on it just wants to give you all of the game mm. as fast as possible it would have done with an editor like there's this sense with the manual that the game is really quite simple the arc of a turn is just you host an activity can you host that activity have you got the servants ready have you got the you know the cash on hand have you got the various apparatus you need to do that activity if yes good job that's your whole turn (laughs) but the manual is is kind of painful in how it explains all the specifics um very slowly That game I played at three players, which I think is kind of not ideal. I think this game is best (laughs) at two when you're sniping each other's things and you're sort of eyeing each other's estates up. It's also, I think, I've played it with two.
1: I wouldn't want to play it with three because I think it'd be too slow. That's not great for a game that with the expansion goes
0: (laughs) up to six players. (laughs) I cannot imagine going up to six players with this game because it's a game that approaches simultaneous play. Like almost everything you do is, you know, could be done entirely parallel with someone else. You can both
1: plan your own events at the same time. You can invite your own guests at the same time. Uh,
0: Unfortunately, there's just a couple of things that happen out of simultaneous play, which means you can't really play it Simultaneously. Not quite. There's like a building market and you might want to buy something before someone else can and whether that thing is there or gone might determine what you do with your whole turn. If someone chooses to hire servants, they might snipe servants that you will need out of the servant pool. Exactly. So there's enough of those things that make it actually quite slow. And this game has the potential to be incredibly crunchy. And Yum. we were sat around the table with someone who was determined to crunch as much as possible on every single turn of the game, which really bogged things down and kind of left me with quite a sour first impression. But I think that was because no one really cared about the theme in that game. Yes. I didn't do a very good job of selling it, and they didn't do a good job of sort of picking it up and running with what was there. But then we played our second game, where Quinn's was immediately smitten by every single aspect of the game in a way that was frankly quite embarrassing look, my wife and I watch <laughs> Uh we are enamoured
1: of uh, people with flowing hair, riding horses and fretting about who's going to be invited to cards right, and let me tell you you, like, that, that thing where you first array your estate in front of you mm-hmm. and you've got a butler's room and you've got a little what is it, The you've got a croquet game no, not croquet, bowls, you Balls, a, a bowls green a whist room, oh yeah, so you can can play you can invite ladies over for cards Ah, mm-hmm. oh, it's all a bit exciting <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I was expecting to be able to like to extend that sentence more before ending it with it's very exciting <laughs> but honestly just the opportunity to play Wiston Bowls in my country <laughs> estate I'm like yeah Um I was I was definitely a horrible person in the past but just some kind of like like bestial. You definitely owned a lot of land. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dear. And I'm sort of like always just trying to get back to that that, that <laughs> status in real life. Um no like but just and every turn seeing all the new tiles that pour out onto the board mm-hmm. all the different formats of library and
0: dining room and garden <laughs> Um, yeah, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And there is is a really satisfying core to the game of hosting an event that you have the staff for and you play all these cards in a big sort of bouquet of bonuses. Working towards those turns when you can play a lot of cards, get a lot of bonuses, reap the rewards and boost your estate, that core part of it is really satisfying. Yeah, and when you say that it's crunchy, you know, meaning that, like, there are a lot of
1: considerations Mm -hmm. of exactly what event to host and what servants to use and what guests to invite and then how much money will that make you? Well, will that make you enough money to buy the upgrade that you really want in this game? Yeah. Because there are also objective cards which might want you to collect certain kinds of rooms. Or, you know, there's the Fairchilds who might also want you to buy certain kinds of rooms to think about that. And if you think about everything going on in this game you can be quite paralysed. I've seen you... And I've certainly felt that thing of just staring at the table and wanting to apologise to your opponent because you've just done so many calculations that you've, you've somehow ended up back at the start and still don't know
0: exactly what you should be doing. The, the game really rewards sort of very robust planning. When you have these servants that are going to sort of cycle on a sort of once every two or three turn yeah, basis, they yeah, sort yeah, of cycle yeah. around this expended, to use to ready box... When you have that system combined with a limited number of cards that you're going to have to play in a certain order combined with knowing the Fairchilds are going to care about certain Ah. things each round, knowing the objectives in your hand, there is so many things that you can plan around, and the game really rewards that. Like, when you are sort of riding that wave and everything's going perfectly, the game feels great. However... Well, (laughs) I'd also, just to add to that, um,
1: I think thematically as well, it really pops. If you're enjoying Mm. the game and if you're enjoying the theme... Um, the game will continually delight you with fun stuff. Like, I don't know, like, um... Playing a card game, knowing that you're going to host a, a game of casino in the card room, and making sure that you hire an extra ladies' maid so you can invite that woman from down the road who needs a ladies' maid or she won't show up. <laughs> but then you've got all your ladies' maid prepared. You do the you do the night, and then you the uh, the woman you invited her ability is to let you draw a new guest, and so you can imagine around the card table her saying, "Oh, have you met you know Rutherford?" And you draw a card off the top of the deck, and it's it's Rutherford. It's Rutherford. He's he's a guy who made a lot of money in the beef. Trade and you're like, oh, I can't <laughs> wait to play croquet with Rutherford. I'm gonna have enough money to buy that
0: greenhouse or whatever. Yeah, there's yeah, and and the two sort of. The thematic and the sort of economic side of things merge in this very like nice way where you're gathering guests at such a rate that you're trying to never have to pass. You're sort of yeah. always gaining these guests. Like a see- constant,
1: like, uh, like almost this Great Gatsby unending party where you host a party that causes you to meet new people who you can invite to play a game, some kind of sports game, yeah. and then maybe that will you know, like, now your servants will be rested, and mm-hmm. then you can take people on a walk to the gazebo which you need to do because you haven't used that gazebo and That's
0: embarrassing, the Fairchild's not gonna respect that. And we haven't even talked about, there's this system called reputation in the game that you're constantly trying to bump up. And as that gets higher and higher, you can do more illustrious activities that are gonna give you more
1: rewards. You can build a library, um, no matter what your reputation level is, but you can't host a political debate in it until your family (laughs) is not embarrassing. Um, So yeah, it's this really peculiar thing where you're trying to climb up the social ladder of like, invite a couple of losers over for a game of bowls, great. But Mm. then people trust you now, that event went well. Now you can host a game of tennis. And then eventually you're working your way up towards, you know, like cigar smoke-fueled political debates in the library and grand balls. Mm -hmm, And -hmm. and of course, at the very end of the game, don't forget, there's a national holiday in which you can invite anyone, regardless (laughs) of social class, to your crap house. (laughs) Okay, I I think I'm more or less ready to talk about the the final game. The final game. Go for it. Uh, I believe... So we, we're coming in hot on this podcast <laughs> yeah. because we just finished playing uh, our latest game of Obsession with the
0: Upstairs, Downstairs expansion. Yeah, um, and Quinns was already scrambling around in his cupboard to fetch the microphone. We need to record this. We need to go now. <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm, I'm coming in.
1: coming in very hot because, in Tom's words, he'd never seen me go from... Being, feeling positive about a game to being so angry so <laughs> fast so here's the problem with obsession and I've talked about this a bit before on the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast but I'm going to make it crystal clear <laughs> for all the maybe would-be designers listening to this If you are designing a game that involves a lot of calculation, a lot of crunching, if you're going to make players weigh up the value of, you know, doing one action versus another and working both actions through all the way through they're seven steps to completion to determine which of those two actions will get you maybe 100 extra pounds or one more tiny notch on the massive reputation track, if you're going to make me work, do not (laughs) fill your game with enough... I'm going to make you beep this... random bullshit that... Okay, so... (laughs) We just had a game of obsession where even though I managed to claw my way to an okay score at the end, almost everything that happened in it was frustrating. The building tiles, which come out of a huge bag and the expansion makes it increasingly random because there's even more tiles in that bag now you might just not get the tiles you need. Or there might be one tile you need to impress the Fairchild and your opponent might pick it up, leaving you with not that. You might want a particular kind of guest and routinely draw guests that require the same kind of servant. And that kind of servant might be a servant that your opponent bought the previous round. Uh, The Fairchild might take an interest in something your opponent has just built a lot of. Now, I think a lot of this, like... A lot of this was particularly annoying to me because we're playing a two-player game, which mm-hmm. is head-to-head, which means every bit of luck you got was functionally the same as me <laughs> having bad luck. And the specific combo that set me in a bad mood on, I think, I want to say day two... It might have been, yeah. Day, well, round two of a 15-day game was... Tom had put no effort into improving improving his reputation. He was a stinky hateful house. I was the worst. No one wanted to go to your house. And then you happened to draw two guests Do you want to talk about the two guests who you as far as I can tell, bumped into (laughs) down a country road almost
0: immediately when our game began. So I bumped into a, I think a tobacco magnate, I think it might have been him who would absolutely ravage your reputation but give you nearly a (laughs) thousand pounds for the privilege. And a really horrible lady who was in the Industry that would do pretty much the same thing but for an extra 500 pounds. Now, granted, they were a little bit outside of my terrible, terrible, stinky reputation range. But, because of the new servants, I could do some sort of, you know, push and could, shoving to... You could to... use the chef
1: to, mm-hmm. uh... Like, e- even though they were classy, your chef made a really good mock turtle soup. Yeah. <laughs> which means that they would come to a dinner that was slightly beneath them. Yes, exactly. They were like, oh, I've got to have a little bite
0: of those bottled peas. <laughs> to clarify, I believe the chef was someone you started the game with due to your random house power. Yep, exactly. Uh, so I managed to invite this incredibly uh, affluent tobacco magnate and his horrible girlfriend uh, to my house to the tune of a huge huge amount of money and oh no I lose loads of reputation what an interesting trade-off I don't because I was already on no reputation and you if you can lose as much as you want at that point and it doesn't matter yeah uh which was very very funny to me not (laughs) so funny to Quinn well like you making 1500 like to clarify this game this is
1: basically a two-hour game Like, this is not... uh, Well... We we rattled, I think... Our first game was certainly two hours. Okay. We were a little faster this time, and this is is at two players. If you're playing with three players, it is definitely a two-hour game. Okay, okay. For sure. Sure. So, a game that long, like, just seeing you essentially... Like... You know, you played well, absolutely no argument there. But you making a grand and a half, while I was sat there crunching for sometimes upwards of two minutes to determine which of two actions would give me a hundred more pounds, felt like (laughs) absolutely (laughs) abhorrent, truly repulsive. You used that money to buy a really extravagant, I want to say, hallway? It was the thing the Fairchild wanted. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, fabulous hallway. I wanted that hallway. You had more money. That's okay. The Fairchilds are probably going to be interested in you. But then we drew the next cards to see what the Fairchilds would be interested in. (laughs) And it was exactly the same room type again, which means the Fairchilds had not flitted away to some other source of interest. They really loved hallways. In fact, because you draw the hallway card twice, it means at the end of the game, hallways count for double. Yep. And it was like, there was a turn towards the end of the game where you had so much money, because also, and again, this is a really cool, fun, thematic uh, interaction. You can build bedrooms and suites in this game, which are, like, events, but rather than hosting, like, three people, it's a suite that you put one person up in, and then whatever reward they give you is double. So, cool, Mr. Tobacco Moneybags Magnate, (laughs) you wedged him in a bedroom, and suddenly (laughs) he's generating two grand a turn? Yep. So, what I'm saying in this is, like, if you're going to make a sort of game that has lots of rich theme and lots of variety, you know, if you're going to have a lot of random chance, that never, to me, gels well with a game that asks player to calculate because you're going to get situations where some players around the table are expected to work very, very hard
0: for something that is a fraction of what might be given to other players for free. Yep. That, that more, than, more than anything comes out in the guests deck where you were just drawing so many guests that required you having way more service staff than you could really achieve having. Which is crazy when I'm drawing them, like people that just don't need anything, <laughs> they're just there. And here's what I will say, is that whether or not this makes this part of the game any better is certainly up for debate. But I will say that as far as I'm aware, this part of the design is intentional. Uh, this is meant to be a thematic consideration that sometimes you will have fortune that swings badly. You will invite a, a guest at random and you get someone who you don't want to be in your house. You know, the person across the way will buy the thing that you really want or they will have this specific combo. That is all meant to be part of the sort of thematic consideration of the game. But I am kind of with you that, sure, that's good on paper, but not in practice. I don't... I You know, I, I think it's fine
1: on paper. I think that having a game with crazy swings of fortune and storytelling, you know, that's uh, that's really not a problem. A game like Cosmic Encounter or Lords of Vegas or other storytelling games of that design of it? Uh Ryan Lockett. Ryan Lockett, yeah, lovely. Like, if you're going to make a game with, you know, s- swings of luck and f- fabulous theme, that's fine. Don't also make a game with nine different subtypes of servants, <laughs> each of which have, like... You have two double-sided reference cards To remind you of what the four different things The useful man can do Or the if you are making someone calculate, that doesn't sit nicely with total random nonsense. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I. I for sure. I, I think
0: that I... This is been, a particular bugbear of mine, so you might not feel as strongly about this. I maybe don't feel as strongly about it because I've never been on the receiving end of it in our games so far. Sure. Like, I have never had the nonsense happen to me. I am the nonsense. <laughs> we did see this with um, a game you did a video review recently, uh, Ark Nova,
1: the game of running a zoo. Oh, yeah.
0: Ark Nova has it in, in sort of less of a sort of severe way. Arkanova has this vast deck of animals and you might have a specific criteria that means that you need to collect, you know, three different kinds of elephant or something. You might just never see the elephants ever in the entire game. Uh, But I do think Ava had a good point on a fairly recent podcast. I can't remember what game, but she was talking about how we're sort of okay in Euro games with having randomness. It's just how sort of Visible and in your face that randomness is. Matt talks about this in Core: Rise of an Empire, where because you're rolling a dice, that randomness is visualized so much to the players that they can very much get annoyed by it. That oh, oh I thought you were going to say the opposite—that a dice feels so obviously
1: random. Where the thing that was happening in Obsession is, whenever I would have bad luck, I would have to stop the game to tell you about it <laughs> because otherwise it would be internalized and infuriating.
0: Yeah, but I think that like. The example of Core Rise of Empire is maybe a good one here because you have this dice that you roll, but then you can mitigate against it with this currency that you can sort of collect. And you always have the opportunity to collect that currency throughout the game. With Obsession, on the other hand, sure, you can like maybe mill what guests you're going to have in your hand in certain ways. You know, the lady of the house that you choose pick up two and choose one of them, or your housemaid lets you do the screening guests, but very rarely do you get that opportunity. Ultimately, you're still going to be gathering a lot of random stuff that might just not work with your strategy ever. Mm. Yeah, it's difficult. I think Obsession really is a lovely
1: example of theme and mechanics. It's a great idea. It's made with a lot of love. Mm. I wish it was... It's. I think the designer is trying to make two games almost, one of which is this you know, lovely game of servant management and hosting events that is quite tight. And the other is, I'm going to simulate an entire Victorian yeah. estate for you and it's going to have everything. It's going to have ha-has and it's going to have <laughs> watercolour paintings by the river and it's going to have every different kind of sport. And, you know, I, I don't... I Dan Halligan, a Dan Halligan designer, is clearly yeah. a Dan Halligan lover of... Of you know of this particular era, and I respect that, and he loves Eurogames, and I respect, but I just don't know if all of the story and all of them. I mean, I'm repeating myself now.
0: Yeah, no, but I think that's. I think we've hopefully given a pretty clear assessment of who the game might be for, which is maybe for people who are pretty content with not crunching out every single turn in a game like this. Mm. I think you have to play this game with a slightly laissez-faire attitude and be very aware that sometimes a roll of a dice, not an actual dice, a sort of figurative one, will create bad fortune. And that is a good story, but only if you've not invested a bunch of time into making it a good maths puzzle, if
1: All, that makes sense. Almost. I don't know if it's a good story that I really, really, really wanted to build a flower garden and it never came <laughs> up in the abstracted shop of tiles, switch slides. Yes. I'm still not sure what's happening with the, the very useful man being
0: dispatched into the wilderness to, like, I guess learn how to build something is what that's doing. Yeah, then he leaves forever, though. You get rid of him, right, from your organiser yeah, permanently. I don't and you can I mean. never hire him again. Which suggests that this useful man has told the other useful men to never go near your estates <laughs> because you've done something horrible.
1: I also, it's, it's, I mean, this is also. Rough around the edges In more ways Than the ways we've mentioned We've played I've, I've played several games Of this with you There is an entire Wooden meeple An entire special rule Related to the head butler The under butler The under butler That's it Who can only be hired If you buy the specific Under butler residence yep. Which is called something Under butler's hole Okay know. yeah um, Which has just never Come up in our games no, So it's no. <laughs> a peculiar thing That you know The under butler Is like a sort of ghost That haunts all of our games Of obsession. Will we be able to hire him
0: No No Never no, again No well, Or no, never, never in the first place what I will say, though, is that there is within the upstairs downstairs expansion a lot there to try and mitigate some of the luck that people find frustrating.
1: Yes, but it also, it, it, I, I respect that, but also it being an expansion massively increases the quantity, the variety of guests, and the variety
0: of tiles. It feels like it's mitigating randomness while adding some in. Yes, although we did play with maybe more than the recommended allowance of exciting new tiles and exciting new guests. Oh, it,
1: it is exciting. though. It was like, exciting. There
0: is a reason we are dedicating an entire
1: podcast to this, even though we just had, or I just had, one of the most infuriating games <laughs> I've played in a long time. There's a lot to love here. There's, a re- there's some lovely ideas. It does click regularly.
0: I will say that I think that, yeah, what I was going to say, with the upsets and downsets with that, I think it gives you a lot of control over how random you want it. To fight its corner, we did put a bunch of randomness into the game. By our, we chose to do that And then went This game's too random
1: <laughs> <laughs> You said your first game with Luke Was also, also felt a little skew-iffy as well It did we, Luke uh, kept inviting just guests That were total horror shows by accident Yes
0: and also then Not ever having the servants on hand To then host those guests And very rarely being given the opportunity To dismiss them Which was very very frustrating for him The solution to that oh, just take a round, an entire round to hire more servants when the person opposite you doesn't ever have to do that. Like, yeah, hmm. that. if you don't like that feeling of someone not having to do... Something that you have to do repeatedly. <laughs> Just being able to breeze through the game. It's not the game for you. But I do think that it's unfair for us to say it's completely random because we did add in quite a bit of that randomness. Fine.
1: Who is this game for, then? I think, realistically, this game is very exciting, but only if you are... Love the Queen. If you, lo- if you love the Queen, if you love the idea of building a conservatory, if, <laughs> if, if you know what a ha-ha is without having to Google it, if you like the idea of marshalling, you know, of having enough head chefs this round, but oh no, you're going to need to hire another valet or another footman. Or you could use the hall boy as a footman, don't forget. If all of this sounds exciting (laughs) to you, rather than like something absolutely haunted that should be left to human history, then maybe obsession's for you. Maybe obsession's for you. Would you say that you're still obsessed with it? Are you going to keep it in your collection?
0: Oh, it's so odd that I might but I'm not sure. It is the kind of game that I think if you're going to... If you get rid of it, because it's such a weird curio. It's so strange. And I also think that it's one of those games that because of what the expansions add in terms of, hey, do you want to play the game again? but that i'm tempted to give it another couple of shakes maybe on the longer version of the game the 17 or 19 round game there's some messed up solo mode you can dig into you can play it cooperatively like there's you can whole... play it cooperatively i think so citation needed that would
1: mitigate all of my frustration with it you you're, you're going to need to well yeah because if if my friend gets unlucky or lucky then that's way less aggravating <laughs> What if you and your friend get unlucky? Well, then that's more of a story, isn't it? <laughs> I'm I'm lending you the Arkham Horror Card game after mm-hmm. this podcast, and that is a game where you can get unlucky and it becomes part of the story. I feel like if you continually get unlucky in a cooperative game of obsession, that fits the theme a lot better. I guess we're just going to have to play it again. Absolutely not. No way. It's not going to happen. But I, I will finish what I was going to say. I think if you got rid of this game out of your collection, I think in a few years you would see a photograph of it and you'd be like, I really shouldn't have given
0: it away. Or I'll see a photograph of it and it'll say 9999999 nine, 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 <laughs> pounds.
1: Yeah. And then you'll you will you'll have brought shame upon your house for just giving away. You're letting that slip through, your are giving
0: away yes. a priceless antique. Sting. Why are you saying that? Oh, I like, thought I could put a sting in. <laughs> Here. And then you put the sting in. Yeah, then I'll I'll put the sting in now. <pleasure>
1: Thank you very much for listening to the podcast, everybody at home. Tom, this wasn't so bad, recording a podcast, staring into my eyes, both of our legs straddling, <laughs> absolutely straddling the uh, the tower of board games I've made.
0: Yeah, there is something, sort of the body language here, where Quinn's is taking up sort of two-thirds of a board game's depth with his legs, whereas I've got a sort of measly fifth maybe. Due to the absurd grasshopper-like
1: length of my legs. Yeah, exactly. Uh Thank you very much, by the way, for lending me uh, Paris La Cité de la Lumière. Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, which is a, a video review that Tom did. You can find it on our YouTube channel. And Tom was thinking of uh, bumping that game out of his collection to make room for other board games. And I said, I want it. Yeah. And now I've got it. And you can look forward to uh, some thoughts from me on the expansion. Uh Paris...
0: I fell uh, on, a, on a podcast near you on a podcast uh, maybe, coming up maybe maybe near the listeners yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hmm, maybe we can promise that it's got a little wooden skull hang I'm on I'm worried that I have maybe caught a little bit of your impulse for expansions because normally I don't really care that much about expansions but recently I'm showing Tom the Paris I fell expansion box where's the skull oh I'll show you yeah show me the skull the skull
1: represents the catacombs.
0: Oh, of course. It has got a little tiny t- tour I fell as well. <laughs> That's a really good skull. That's great. I'll put that in, uh, in, in, in the podcast thumbnail. Somehow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, you you, sorry I interrupted you saying the most important thing which ultimately was that I'm right and you're wrong no no you're getting interested in expansions just like me
0: it was that you parasitically have sort of invaded my brain with a desire to collect things like when you said about Final Girl you took Final Girl back from uh, my flat recently and something that you said about oh yeah I just want to have the whole set together and my brain went okay no I actually want to keep all the Final Girl boxes now because I want the whole set together really so you know expect more fights like that in the future more squabbles over completion this is bad because if there's a game with a lot of expansions you and I are both going to have to fight for yeah. it now uh. I think it might be because I love organising things so much and yes. I think that's what I'll get the real kick out of do
1: you want to dis- I, I, as we mentioned earlier in this podcast I'm lending you the Arkham Horror <laughs> card game do you want to describe this is tragic for someone who likes expansions as much as me. Do you want to describe um, the state of the of my collection yeah. of Arkham Horror cards? Uh,
0: a sort of the, the core box was sort of bulging around the edges, worn on the corners, in various grimy baggies, filled with cards in various states of sort of being in play or out of play. A bunch as of
1: uh, as well, uh, a bunch of individual expansion blister packs, mm-hmm. some of which still have the cellophane on, <laughs> all of which contained in a black mesh bag, yeah, which you sort described a- as like lingerie. I'd describe it as girthy fishnet Uh,
0: it was really horrifying and then also I had a very fun time you weren't in the room so you didn't get to witness my complete idiocy but there was an expansion box that had like a sort of the front and the back not the front and the back the top and the bottom of this very thin box was sort of I guess like I don't know what you'd call it where you is what, it folded in like an envelope? Yeah, folded in, and I put a deck of cards from through one side and it immediately fell out the other side. <laughs> I rotated the box, put it in, and exactly the same thing happened on wow. the other side. Which I'm so glad you didn't get to witness. The, I can uh, tell
1: why you were asking to record this podcast later, if that was the... <laughs> Your, your state of, uh, the state of your state mind. Of brain. But, but instead,
0: we got this sort of, you know, very, very strange encounter uh, atop a pile of board games. With our knees almost touching, yeah. Ooh. Well, uh, I will be curious
1: what you think of the Arkham Horror Card Game, mm-hmm. and you, doubtless, will be curious what I think of Paris Solicited de la
0: Lumiere. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a podcast. An extremely low nutritional value podcast. Why? Because one game we've already covered extensively and one that's an expansion. Oh, okay. People yeah.
1: want to hear that? People might want to hear what I think of the game. I might think your review is wrong and dumb. Leave us a comment in the <laughs> comment section below whether you'd be interested to hear my thoughts on a game Tom thought was good. What'll I think?
0: Maybe maybe be good. Are we turning up the volume now on the outro music? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you'd really—I'm
1: very emotionally invested in you really liking the Horror card game, though. If you think that's bad, I would lose a, a little bit of faith in you
0: as a critic. Okay, that's fine. I love it. <laughs> <laughs>